Disruptions linked to Russia's invasion of Ukraine and its economic impacts continue to undermine energy and food security. They are also prompting economies and businesses to rethink how they obtain critical raw materials and component parts. In this podcast, Alexander Plekhanov of the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development discusses new research on the impact of Russia's invasion of Ukraine on economies and global supply chains, highlighting mechanisms and policy options to restore economic activity and re-ingrain resilience. He also describes international trade effects for economies in Central Asia and the Caucasus and the factors behind them. The discussion draws upon his ADBI feature speaker webinar on EBRD's 2022-23 transition report on the policy implications of business unusual conditions in the global economy. Hi, Alex. Thank you for joining Asia's Developing Future. To start things off, can you briefly explain the economic impact of war in general? Interstate wars between different countries have become somewhat less common than they used to be, but civil wars have become more frequent since 1980s, 1990s, coming back to levels of perhaps 19th century. What we see is a very large variation in the economic effects of war. Average debt to GDP increases by around 47 percentage points during the conflict and immediately after, and that takes a long way to come down. Can you unpack that a bit more? In half of the cases, income per capita does not return to pre-war trend after 25 years. In around 20% of the cases, the reconstruction actually happens fast in around five years. Even where the income per capita recovers, wars leave lasting scars in terms of capital and population and labor force. People migrate, populations shrink considerably, and capital stock gets destroyed during conflict. And on average, it's never rebuilt to the levels that could be expected in similar economies. So what does the data say about the effects of Russia's invasion of Ukraine on global supply chains and the businesses that depend on them? What we've been doing throughout years, together with the World Bank and European Investment Bank, we have been conducting enterprise surveys of a representative sample of countries across economies. We looked at firms that both export and import and see how they fared during supply chain disruptions. We find that around half of the firms, 815 firms that both export and import across 15 economies, faced shipping issues, disruptions, and half-faced disruptions from suppliers. I think they were directly and indirectly related to a war on Ukraine. Around three quarters of firms took measures, and these measures differ. The same input from a higher number of suppliers are fairly popular measures. In our economies, 18% replaced foreign supplier with the domestic supplier. What will happen if countries continue to replace suppliers with the domestic suppliers and ones from ally countries? We did a separate analysis what would happen in a world with a um, more extreme version of French shoring, where you try to source components from like-minded countries. And um, here to split the world into like-minded countries, looked at the vote at the UN on the invasion of Ukraine and split the world into economies that voted in favor and the rest, which are roughly equally sized blocks. And then we assumed um, basically a 20% 
percentage point increase in ad valorem tariffs between these blocks as just a modeling exercise of what would happen in this world. What are the economic implications of that kind of split? The costs range from probably half a percent of GDP to near a 5% of GDP in various scenarios. And depending on where the economies are, the costs tend to be higher for Central Asia, Southeast Asia and parts of North Africa. This is an insurance that may be very much justified when it comes to, say, energy security or other supply security issues that people value and governments value very highly. But it's also an expensive insurance, so it may not be justified for other sectors or other elements of trade where a supply security may not be valued as highly. Have there been any unexpected outcomes from related global supply chain disruptions? There have been very few economies globally where currencies have appreciated against the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar has been exceptionally strong and the strongest since at least around 2000 against a broad basket of currencies. But currencies in a number of economies in Central Asia and the Caucasus have actually appreciated. And it's probably quite far from what most people expected when Russia invaded Ukraine in February 2022. And why is that? Germany exports to Russia more than half, but exports to Armenia, Georgia, Kazakhstan and Kyrgyz Republic at the same time increased by around 60%. The trade to the Kyrgyz Republic basically quadrupled over these months. To Armenia, it tripled. And Kazakhstan similarly up, Georgia up a bit. What is also interesting is that there are economies like Turkey that took advantage of the withdrawal of Western companies. And Turkey's trade with Russia and Belarus directly has gone up quite considerably. At the same time, Turkey's intermediated trade through Kazakhstan, Georgia, Armenia, the Kyrgyz Republic also has gone up quite a bit. Turkey to the world have been up 20% in inflation-adjusted terms since pre-COVID times, but to Armenia, Georgia, Kazakhstan and the Kyrgyz Republic, it's up by 45%. The geography of this intermediated trade is to a large extent driven by Eurasian Economic Union borders, which provide for customs-free trade onwards to Russia, but also by the position of Georgia as the only land corridor from Armenia to Russia. So global sanctions on Russia have somewhat shifted patterns of global trade and supply chain. How big is the intermediated trade surplus for economies in Central Asia? What gets intermediated through these economies is actually a small fraction of the decline in direct trade between European Union, US and UK and Russia. So if we add up this additional intermediated trade through Armenia, Kyrgyz Republic, Georgia, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, it's less than 5% of the missing trade, something that is not exported directly to Russia from the same economies. However, in annualized terms, for Armenia and the Kyrgyz Republic, that amounts to 4 to 6% of GDP from these countries alone. You could easily multiply this 4 to 6% of GDP by two or two and a half to arrive at actually value of this intermediated trade from all destinations. And then if you think that if your margin on this at least 25%, maybe closer to 30 to 50% in this services, because actually these car parts that get from Germany via focuses are probably in Russian service dealerships are sold at three times the price it used to be. And then you actually add up 
with a quite substantial boost to GDP as well in terms of not just trade going in and out, but that intermediation services that lend in those economies. To wrap up, what issue does finance play in intermediated trade in the region? There is an issue with the ease of cross-border payments. For compliance reasons, payments have become harder to make and may take many weeks or months to clear. So an alternative is making a payment from, say, Russia to Kazakhstan or Georgia, and then from Kazakhstan and Georgia onwards to a clearing bank, correspondent bank somewhere in Germany or in the United States. So how are things unfolding? There have been a lot of companies that voluntarily restricted trade to Russia. Some of them just leaving means doing it through a subsidiary in Turkey or in UAE. In part, to deal with all of this, there have been also a very significant increase in Russian-owned companies setting shop in Central Asia and the Caucasus, in particular in Kazakhstan, where a lot of professional services firms moved already between January and May 2022. Thousands of new Russian-owned companies have been registered in Kazakhstan. I wanted to say is that this pattern of intermediated trade is not something that you would always naturally find. This has been Asia's Developing Future, brought to you by the Asian Development Bank Institute. For more information about us, visit adbi.org.